0: You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. I'm going to read the passage that Stan's going to be preaching over today. It's found in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke in all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, just for what a good God that you are. We thank you um, just for the freedom that we celebrate this week, just the freedom as a nation, and uh, thanking you for those that gave their lives, um, that we can stand here and just worship you today. And I just pray for Stan as he comes up and uh, preaches your word, that you would just speak through him, God, and open our hearts and just challenge us into action. And that we again, we just thank you for this time we can worship together. Amen.
1: Good morning. It's my bad. Good morning, Anthem Church. How are we doing? Doing all right? Uh, Well, uh, my name is Stan Hayek, one of the pastors on staff. Yes, I'm going to start out with my illustration right away. So, uh, you know what this is? Yeah, thank you. We're going to do well this morning. Okay, this is a balloon. Or At our house, this is hours of cheap entertainment. I have four small daughters, right? And uh, we can't buy toys from all, but we can buy a pack of balloons. And so, yesterday I'm even kind of working through my sermon and I'm like we're using that as an illustration so this is a balloon and without fail you blow one of these up you toss it out to your children what's the game that they're going to play with it don't let it touch the ground ground. we call it keep it up okay keep it up right so you you throw this out there uh and then without fail like they just start keeping it up look at that left-handed (laughs) right-handed behind the back. so daughters, they'll play it for hours. And so it's it's made possible because the balloon is going to it's gonna come down, right? Even this one uh, has like a third helium in it, all right? I didn't want it to drop too fast, but it's going to come down. Even if you have the balloons, you know, you get from a party and they might, you know, be up in the ceiling fan for a little while. But eventually, even the helium-filled ones, they're going to come down. And I feel like this is accurate for for us we're in kind of like summer camp season where students can kind of go away and have like these these highs and we can sit under you know awesome sermons we're like man i'm on fire but without fail without like something like continuing to smack like even us as believers just kind of start to fall and settle it's just an observation okay by default we don't drift towards becoming more godly, by default we kind of drift towards sin. And so what it is is when we break fellowship, when we're not in fellowship, when we're not in prayer, when we're not, you know, reading our scripture, what's going to happen is we just fall. We, we drift towards sin because we live in the flesh. In fact, there's kind of like this secular phrase that idle hands are devil's workshop, meaning if you're not doing something good with your hands... Satan will put them to use. And so today's key verse, is Zach just read, verse 14, talks about that we who love Jesus ought to be zealous for good works. Now, I don't know about you, but if I just had a confession, this word like zeal, this excitement, this passion for good works I don't know if that's a really accurate descriptor of me, right? Zealous for good works because I'm, if I can just be honest, there's maybe been one time or two where there's a kid crying in the middle of the night and you hear it, but you just lay there and hope that your wife gets up instead. Can I just confess it? Maybe once or twice that's happened (laughs) last night alone. Uh, Like there's this... If I'm just being honest, when when I'm I'm studying this text out, and he's saying, "Man, those that have been saved, that we were destined for hell, we deserve the wrath of God, and then Jesus came and took our punishment. Boom, set us on a new trajectory. We should be flying high. We should have this zeal for good works." And I'm like, "Well, if that's the case, then why do I not have that?" I, I don't know about you, but, but I'm guessing I'm not the only one. If you would, okay, so I'm confessing from stage. If you would say, zealous for good works might not be the most accurate descriptor for me on a regular basis. Can you just raise your hand? Okay, so there's a few people that this sermon is like, in terms of zealous for good works, and some of you like elbowing your spouse, you're like, you should have raised your hand. Because I saw you ignore the dishes the other day. That was not a zeal for, for good works. And so, this regard, so you have to ask, like, what what is happening in which we're not zealous for good works? Is it that we lack understanding? We're like, I don't even know what a good work is. That's probably not the case, right? Most of us know the good works we ought to do. Certainly not a lack of opportunity, It's like, well, I would would do good works. They're just, they've all been done. You know, Pastor Stan's been here. He's covered it all. And so no good works are left. And so there's no opportunity. Y'all, we know that's not the case. We're talking today in SEC, like the command to love our neighbors implies that we should probably know our neighbors' names, let alone their needs, right? Dad's spiritual leadership within the home When's the last time said, hey, let's do family devotional? Praying with our spouse, not only for them, but actually praying with them. Man, we oftentimes will come into environments like this saying, I hope I get fed today. With kind of a consumer mentality rather than saying, who can I get to know and bless? What can I give? We have co-workers. When we talk about the opportunity to do good works. We have co-workers. know quite a bit about us, but perhaps have never heard us really talk about Jesus. We have our list of what needs to get done. Holiday weekend, we got extended time to get these needs done, but again, we don't perhaps know the needs of others. And so, perhaps you're like me, that you find yourself kind of drifting down and not necessarily defined as zealous, excited to do good works, and some of you are like, I did not come today to get guilted into something. No, I I don't want to guilt you into doing things. Have you, there's no one that can lay guilt on you like your mama, right? <laughs> Stan, are you coming home for Christmas? You know, you weren't here last year, and your sister, she drove eight hours to be here, and you're a lot closer, so you're coming home, aren't you? My wife is like, how do you fall for that every time? I'm like, I have a weak conscience. And so when my mom makes me feel guilty, like she produces action, okay? Guilt is a motivator. I'm not telling you it's a great one, but it is a motivator. The problem with guilt though is if you felt like that, it's never long lasting. Guilt is a motivator, but it's not a good one. And I've found myself like this even as a pastor who's supposed to be shepherding Not intentionally, but but settling for that kind of motivation, like, oh, you're gonna help on the building, aren't you? We got some work to do. And and you just kind of like, you're gonna be there, aren't you? And you just see like people get a little bit guilty. And at one point, I described like people like, how's church going? I said, it feels like I live in a house with 50 different rooms and there's balloons in every room, and it's my job to run around to each room and try and keep them up. You call me just, Pastor, keep it up. Like, you just go, and you're like, are you doing this? And then you run over here, are you doing this? <laughs> to which somebody's like, or you can fill the balloons with helium, and then they just stay up. <laughs> you got a point. <laughs> but here's the deal, is the gospel is a better motivator than guilt. Our lack of zeal for doing good works needs to be addressed with the gospel, not with guilt. And so don't want you to feel guilty for not knowing your neighbors. And, and here's the reality is we do need reminders. In fact, the fact that this letter is written is proof that there's reminders that are necessary to motivate us to do what we ought to be doing. And so I'm not saying that reminders aren't necessary, but the gospel is going to be a better motivator than being smacked around. And we're going to see that. That's not just my words, but you're going to see it in the text, that the gospel motivates us, and it speaks to our past, our present, and our future. See what I mean in verse 11? What's he say here? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. In other words, the gospel is speaking to our past, our sin, and the fact that we are saved. That's the word salvation. We needed rescuing from something. I'd illustrate it like this. So, As I mentioned, with four daughters, there's a fair amount of opportunity to discipline our children. Can't make this up. Last night, we're there, and there's like a blood-curdling scream coming from our living room. Our youngest daughter, child, who is who's two, not even three years old. She's got a handful of hair. Janessa, what did you do? Pulled sister's hair. Why? Why would you do it? I wanted to. You <laughs> hurt her. Like, do you feel like a Okay, we have an opportunity to discipline and work her through it. And, and we want to, every time we discipline is an opportunity to point our kids towards Jesus. explain A chance to explain to them how God is good and he set the guidelines for us. And so we're able to walk them through that, talk about what they did, how they fell short, and then discipline. But once in kind of a blue moon, just change it up a bit, just to keep it fresh for my kids, right? Once, So this has happened just a handful of times. I'm not saying make a staple of this all the time, parents. But you wait until it's something that is just painfully obvious. Like, you did this, child, and you were wrong. And you take them in the room and you say, You begin to explain to them, Do you understand what you did? Yes. Do you understand that it was wrong? Yes. Do you understand that, Dad, because God has commanded me, I am to discipline you now? Yes. And then you just, this is the twist. You say, Child, Dad is willing to show you grace. Now there's still punishment that needs to be addressed, but Dad will take your spanking for you. There's so much bewilderment in the child's face at that point. They're like, wait, wait, wait. It's like, yeah, what you've done, what you've done, needs punishment, but your dad is willing to take the spanking. Either you need to take the spank, or Dad's going to take the spank. Which do you prefer? They're like, I think dad takes the spank. <laughs> and so, you ready? And then just come crashing down on my leg. And I'm talking like the kind of like spank that's going to leave a mark on my leg. and just stings and the child can hear it. And it's an opportunity to explain that's what Jesus Christ has done. He took the punishment that we deserve. God in his goodness can't look the other way. There's got to be justice and Jesus took the punishment we deserve. And so he reminds them of that right away. In verse 11, he said, this is grace. It's mercy. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. it this is just a gift that has been given through Jesus. That's how Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it. It's a gift, uh, is six, Romans 6, It's by grace that Jesus was willing to take the punishment that we deserve. When he was crucified on a cross, his blood was shed for us so that we could be forgiven. And so he's reminding them of that. We're going to get to verse 14 about the good works, but he's reminding them that that ought to be a motivator, how the gospel speaks to our past. And so what it was is we were destined to hell, and Jesus comes along, intersects us at our rock bottom, just boom, sends us up to new heights. That's the reality for us, what Jesus has done. And that should be a motivator. But yet, <laughs> the observation is that we've settled. number of hands that went up, including mine. then why, if that's what's been done, why do we lack a zeal for being about the work of God then? Why don't we know our neighbors? Why aren't we doing these things? Because here's the thing. The gospel wants to speak more into more than just our past. It's good news for the present. You see it in verse 12. He references this grace in 11. It is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. If you're taking notes, I'd say the gospel, it speaks to our past sin. And here we see that it trains us for the present age. And what it's doing is he's saying it's training us to renounce worldly passions and to live upright, self-controlled, and godly lives. So it's training us to put to death these worldly things. When you think of just things that are just worldly passions, perhaps it's, you, you, you go to things like oh, pornography, masturbation, drunkenness. Those would certainly be things of this world that God would say, man, you need to put those to death. But there's other things that are maybe of the world too that are not that significant. Things like social media, binging on TV. Chris Kurtz was preaching to our college students this summer. Opening thing. He's like, hey, let's check where your priorities are. Why don't you just pull out your iPhone and in here there's a little setting and you can see your screen time. I gasped when I looked at my screen time. Like how much time I'd spent looking at my phone on a daily basis. He's saying these, these things of this world, they're not, and perhaps some of them are, are not even inherently bad. Your phone's not bad. Political parties aren't necessarily bad or social issues. And so before you get defensive on that, I want to recognize though, like what is going on though amongst those things that are causing us to settle because it's the present where our problem is. In the past, if Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, it set us on this trajectory, but we didn't stay there. What I'm arguing is that the gospel wants to speak more to just a one-time event in the past, but presently, what's going on? Why aren't we there? And I would say the church is partly responsible because in the church, we teach people to pray like this. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I'm not saying that's a bad prayer, That's a bad point to stop because that's not how Jesus taught us to pray. Does that make sense? The sinner's prayer, I'm not saying it's a bad prayer, but it's a bad stopping point. If that's it, I'm a sinner. Thank you for saving me. Jesus said, you ought to pray like this. God, you're in heaven. Your name is holy and set apart in Matthew 6. May your name be holy and set apart for your kingdom. God, I'm praying that your kingdom would come. Your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, would you just give me my daily bread? Lord, would you forgive me of my sins as I forgive others who sin against me? And would you just lead me not into temptation? What you're hearing in that prayer goes beyond Jesus as Savior but as Lord. Now, you've heard that phrase, but I want to unpack that because I think that's where the sticking point is. And everybody's like, man, I'm so grateful that Jesus saved me. But he's saying, I want to be Lord. I want to continue to influence and speak, not to just your past sin, but presently, I want to lead you. I want to have relationship with you. In teachers' meeting this week, Todd Van Voorst said it like this, if we understand lordship, think of someone who's you know, your boss or who's over you. Todd would say it like this. He said, there's no such thing as saying no, Lord. It's either yes, Lord, or no, you're not my Lord. Does that make sense? You can't say no, Lord. Either he's your boss, he has rain on your life, or you're the boss. And that's where the conflict begins to happen, and some of you are like, hey, pastor, don't tell me that, that God's not my Lord. Like, I My trust is in him. He's my Lord. He's the most important thing. But what, what's happening here, and I'll just speak from my life, it's not that I don't believe that God is most important and worthy, but there's just some other things that, again, aren't necessarily evil but can be somewhat distracting. For me, hunting, hunting season, every passing day, uh, we get that much closer to deer hunting. I am excited about that. Real estate is another passion. I don't know why, but buying, selling things, I don't have a farm really anymore to do that stuff. And so for some reason, like, real estate is an interest. Now, what I say... oh they're a God, and I just make like a little shrine like in my man cave downstairs and like bow down to my camouflage hunting gear and in my bow and say, oh, you are like Lord of my life. No, I hope not. Now, that, I'm not saying that that is what's taking place, but I think for me, what's happening, instead of being about God, your kingdom come, your will be done, what do you want for me today? Like, oh, that, that's on the market today? Oh, I, I mean, uh, I, I'll get to reading here, but that buck on the trail camera, he just, he's right there. And I think if I, it is, he puts these things at conflict. Where he's saying in, in Matthew 6, he's saying you can't serve two masters. And it's not that even money is bad or even these things, these interests are bad, but It's bad when it keeps you about accomplishing your will and seeing your kingdom come versus God's kingdom come. And so if it's wrong, yeah, absolutely kill it. But if it's just something that's good, don't let it become a little g God. Does that make sense? And so when he's saying you need to put these worldly passions, those shouldn't be the case, but you should. You should be about kingdom work. And so he's talking to a lordship idea. And so I don't know, but if here's a good way to see, like what is it that perhaps is distracting you from God's work in the present? And some of you like have a hard time. Imagine if, I'm not promoting extraterrestrial life, but let's just say that there's aliens in another place, right? And they just observe you for a couple weeks, they observed you, and they have no concept of, of what's going on. I was thought, like, what would it look like if somebody never has no concept of, like, uh, American football, just to see, like, two people in different colors, like, just killing each other, right? It just blow their mind. But let's just say, work with me, if some extraterrestrial life just was watching you for a couple weeks, what might they deduct is the most important thing as they look at where your time and your energy go, what would they deduct? I really believe some aliens would would look down and they would see people and they would think that their four-legged, furry pet is the master and the human is just like the, the subordinate. Because their whole life revolves around, like especially when they see you like picking up the the, the stuff that comes out the backside. It's like, I won't do it. No. Like, I'm not picking up. Anyways, if you want to have a pet, that's your thing. That's the holdup for me. Uh, But what would they deduct? What would they deduct in terms of how we spend our screen time? Or would they deduct and be like, I don't know what this person is about, but, man, they just seem every time there's some good to be done, they're just zealously there about good works. Is that what they did deduct? Because that's what he's pushing us to. He's saying, if you're about God's kingdom, you need to be about the Lord's work. And looking at him, and when we focus on him, what he says is it trains us for the present age. When we continue to be about God's work, it speaks in and informs, and it trains us in the here and now to be self-controlled, to be about these things. And so the gospel speaks to our past, Grab my illustration. It speaks to whoop, whoop. it speaks to our past. We're destined. Jesus gets a hold of us, and it speaks to our present as we keep our focus on Him and His kingdom. It informs all these other things. But he continues in, and in verse thirteen, we're going to say, "Oh, not only does the gospel speak to our past, but the present, but also the future." And again. Hold up on the present, because I think that's where the problem is. When I said I think the church has taught people how to wrongly pray, I was meeting with a guy this week for discipleship. I could say, man, if we could have it where Anthem Church, its people, just doesn't screw up. Nobody in Anthem sins. If If we could accomplish just that, should we take it? And you see him contemplating. I'm like, if that's the goal that we have for the people of Anthem, one generation in our church is dead. If it's just about simply not screwing up or or not sinning, but but again, I think we just focus on, oh, we just need Jesus as Savior. That is true. But as Lord, he has more to speak in our lives in the present about what we should be doing with our time and our talents and our treasure that it should inform how we live. And so, I would invite you to inspect your life because I think in the present is where the holdup is. And for me, it's the distraction of these worldly things that, again, aren't inherently evil, but they keep me from being more about God's work. And so the gospel speaks to our past, our present, and the future. Verse 13 has us waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Saying the good news has us looking forward to this hope. Revelation 19 speaks to this that Jesus is coming back. He resurrected and he is coming back for his bride one day. In Revelation 19, we see that he's got a white robe on, dipped in blood. I think something like tats on his leg that say King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Riding down, sword coming out of his mouth, just this epic picture to establish new heavens and new earth in Revelation 21, verse four, he says, and he will in that day wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There is gonna be a day, Christian, where there's no more gravitational pull towards sin. God is going to make all things new, just like it was in the garden, perfect. And there's a day, and so he's saying the gospel should give you hope for the future. It speaks to the past, the present, and the future. Another way I would illustrate this, again, just to drive this home, is you can think about it, like, in terms of of a fire. If you can imagine that, that we, in our past, are... Arsonist, like we are in a fire through absolute fault of our own, and for me that was because I was chasing girls, the sports were my idol, all these things, and I felt my world just just burning up around me. And you had the appearance of being one thing, but deep inside you had this sense of brokenness and longing that nothing in the world could fill. That was our situation, and Jesus Christ came in and pulled us from the flames. And he's set us free. And now that we've been rescued in the present age, he's commissioned us to actually be about the work, to go and help save other people from the flames. People who don't know Jesus and don't think that just because those coworkers, those family, they seem to have it all together. If they don't have Jesus, they don't have it all together. There's a brokenness and there's a need. Whether how bad it's being masked, you might not know, but rest assured there is a need. And he is commissioning us in this present age to go back in. And he's equipped us with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, You have every tool to go and be about the work. And rest assured one day the fire is going to be put out. There'll be no more of that, and you'll just be with me where it'll be perfect, peaceful, no weeping, no hurt, no pain. And so he says in verse 14, this is Jesus who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Can you imagine that scene at the burning building? May God help the fire crew that is at the scene of a building that is burning and is sitting idle. While the fire is raging, there's people inside perishing Yet they don't even go about the work or they go about that work with the lack of zeal. Can you imagine the frustration that you would have if you showed up and they were there studying about what firefighters did in the past in situations like this? Perhaps they're strategizing of what it could look like. Maybe they're even praying for for those inside. Can you imagine the audacity if those that were sitting idle began to critique the few that were coming out with victims on their shoulders, choking through the smoke, saying, you know, what you could have done there, may God help the fire crew that isn't having a, a, a zeal when they show up in those situations. May God help the church that has itself or its members are lacking in zeal. And Jesus, I believe, foreseeing that this would be the case in Matthew chapter 9 and in Luke 10, he's going to say, would you pray? Pray for workers to head out into the harvest field because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, those doing the work, are few. And that's why we got, There's if you want one of these, they, kind of the churches we run with, we do this thing, 10.02, 10.02, and you saw, I think, Nick, you are on keys today. He's got the 10.02 shirt. It's all swagged out. What that means is, is we set our alarms, and as we, leaders, staff, all that, for 10.02 a.m., maybe not p.m., and at 10.02, we just stop wherever we're at, and we just pray. As Jesus told us to pray, pray that, that workers would be raised up, because there's a harvest field. and In the Matthew account, he talks about that they're broken, they're hurting, like sheep without a shepherd. And so the commission that, that he gave us is that we would pray that people would answer that call. We want to be about that. I think it's in that spirit that we see verse 15. He's exhorting us and calling us to be about those things. I had a, couple that wanted to join membership at Anthem. So met them out here at the building about 10 days ago, explaining, and I think they got this clearly, that when we say membership at Anthem, we're not talking like a membership, like you get to a country club that has certain perks with it. It's like membership means actually that you're the first ones there, the last ones to leave, that you are owners within what is happening here. And as I pray, I believe that part of the answer is that then two days after that, three days after that interview, here engaging people. And I know they've got a lot going on in their lives, but they're saying, man, I'm not coming to be a consumer, but I want to contribute to what God is doing here. Just a clear answer to people being raised up. He's saying, we ought to be zealous about good works. It's not just... Helping people come to know Jesus, that's certainly huge. But even just this idea of hospitality, Hebrews 13:2 says this do not neglect in showing hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels and were unaware. You understand the significance of that? You are, we are in a battle. Heaven versus hell. And he is commissioning us to, to go be a part of that. I remember just this week, we we're saying, man, let's take this shot in ministry. Like, let's go be about this thing. Somebody said, well, what about this? What about this? I'm like, I don't know. I don't have all the answers to that. And there was a day where I absolutely wanted to know the answers before I took a step. But at this point, it's like, I don't know, but I don't think they'll hear about Jesus unless we go. So we're going to go. And hopefully not botch it in the process, but may God judge the hearts of us. So I want to be leaning forward in light of this text. We've got to go meet our neighbors. Do family devotional tonight. Pray because the gospel, again, what Jesus has done in the past, what he wants to do in the present, and what he's going to do in the future, speaks to those things. I want to pray the Luke ten two prayer. 1 John 3.18 says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but in actions and in truth. In 1 John 2, 6, he says, If anyone claims to live as him, that being Jesus, they must walk as Jesus did. Romans 12, 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. In verse 15, here he says, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Anthem Church, what is before us is an opportunity, not an obligation. I want you to be motivated by guilt. Oh, I got to do. We have an opportunity to. God has invited us. He could send just angels. He could part, seas. He could do what everybody says. Nick Parker, I want to give you an opportunity to be about the work. Loving those around you. When you, you I know this, can't comprehend, but actually just taking the time to care about somebody. He's going to show them my love. 1 John 4, no one has ever seen God, but, but through the love of us, your love, they're going to get to experience me. Jesus commissioned us and, and he invited us in and so it's an opportunity, not an obligation. And I want to see it as such. And I want to invite you to take that opportunity, not motivated by guilt and needing to be smacked, but this would be a reminder of what Jesus has done, the past he saved us from, the present that he has for us, in the future hope that one day he's coming back, fires are put out, and we'll be able to delight in him forever. And so we take communion to remember that, that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed. And we do it with joy, knowing that he didn't stay dead, but he resurrected And one day he's coming back. And so as you're taking communion, again, I'm not asking you, you know, oh, before you go and, and, and bow down to Jesus and say, you're Lord, you know, you better put to, you know, if you got your little idol you brought with you in your car that you've been bowing down to, maybe put that to death. No, but I would just ask that you would inspect your heart. Are there perhaps good things that have become little G God things? Leonard Ravenhill, pastor said, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for. And it's with that mentality that I want to invite us to take communion together. And so as the band comes up, they're going to play. And then you, at your own time, can make your way to a communion table. You break off a piece of bread. I think there's even gluten-free up here at these front tables. Break off a piece, dip it in the cup, remembering that Jesus, his body was broken, his blood was shed to forgive us of our past. To inform the present as savior and Lord, and to give us hope in the future that one day too, we will resurrect and be with him. And so when you're ready, you can make your way to the communion table, break it off, dip it in, and then come back and remain standing and worship with us. I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do. We thank you for what you've done. and I pray. Holy Spirit, just invite you now to move in our hearts that you would speak to us specifically. What is it that has us lacking in zeal? It's not an understanding, it's not opportunity. And so God, would you expose our hearts and show us what is drawing attention away from kingdom work? And Lord, would you motivate us not by guilt, but by the gospel? Just pray that you would be working now as we remember you in communion. And thank you, Jesus, that you did, you came for us and you're inviting us in. God, you are so good. You were so good to us in this way and in all the daily graces you give us. God, you are so good. And so it's with that we want to celebrate and respond and worship, knowing you're a good God. So we just pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.